Welcome to the HR Futures Podcast, brought to you by Expedite HR, the organisation behind Working Futures, the event for HR directors, and the new mobile application, Circa, the only app dedicated to developing and improving the HR profession. This podcast is also brought to you in association with Zealous, the market-leading provider of payroll, HR, and managed services. Uh, my name is Kevin Green, and I'm your host for today's podcast. With me today as my guest is Catherine Pritchard, who is the Group Chief People Officer and Head of Strategy at the Odeon Group. Hello, Catherine. Morning, Kevin. Do you want to just start off by telling us a little bit about how long you've been at the Odeon Group and a bit about the business, the size of the business, turnover, how many people, and perhaps you know the breadth of your role? Uh, yeah, um, so um, Odeon Cinema Group is the biggest uh, cinema operator in Europe. We operate across 14 countries. Um, we host about 115 million uh, guest visits a year. So that is an awful lot of people that come and see the um, films with us. Uh, we employ roughly 12,000 colleagues across those countries. Um, and obviously, most, most people know Odeon uh, in the UK. You know, we're a cinema operator. We've got um, a huge number of cinemas and screens and uh, a real variety of operations uh, here in the UK and across Europe. OK. So when you say operations, well, tell me about the difference. Is it size of cinema or are there different sort of sub-brands or...? Yeah, well, we've got um, really big cinemas, so up to 14, 15 screen cinemas in various locations and some tiny cinemas as well. So some very local three, four screeners in different parts of our estate. Um, We've got different brands in different countries too. So people will know us as Odeon in the UK, um, but we do operate a number of different brands in different parts of Europe. Go on, tell me what some of the brand names are. Okay, well, we've got, yeah, you might do. Um, We've got Ucci Cinemas in Italy, for example. So people will have known the old UCI brand probably. Um, So it's kind of resonant with that. We've got Filmstaden in Sweden, for example. Um, We've just uh, moved our brand in Norway um, to become Odeon, actually. But yeah, we do operate um, under different brand names in different countries. Okay. And how long have you been at Odeon Group? I've been there almost exactly four years. Okay. And tell us a little bit about what you did before that. So tell, right, let me start right at the beginning. How did you get into HR in the first place? Oh, well. And why? Ah, oh, well, that was um, happenstance, really. So I've done lots of different jobs, um, but I was working at the BBC uh, doing a kind of social action campaigning job, actually. So working on big multimedia learning campaigns um, sort of 15 years ago. And it was the Greg Dyke era, which many people will, be familiar with um, a time of real change actually at the BBC and there was a very small organisation development team um, which um, I applied for a job in and um, and got and that was my very first HR job. Why did you apply for it? What was it that uh, appealed? Well when I um, began my kind of corporate career actually which was in the NHS bizarrely um, I remember seeing uh, a talk about organisation development so um, it was when I was in my mid-20s actually and I was just really fascinated by it and just thought that sounds really interesting didn't think anything more of it for another eight or nine years and then it kind of came round the job came up and I just 
I just thought, yeah, that's something I've always really wanted to do. Um, and I absolutely loved it and stayed in OD for about nine, ten years. So you did BBC. Yes. And then you did BT, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Okay. Um, and worked all in kind of various specialisms, really, in the HR function, but covered a lot of ground. So I did a lot of work on talent and leadership, a lot of work on performance, a lot of work on engagement, um, some work on reward. So I covered a lot of the HR disciplines, but never from a generalist perspective. So it was the first time you did a generalist role when you became an HR director? Yeah, it was. Um, Which is relatively unusual. I think so. But I'm going to come back to careers a bit later on because I think there's one of the things that I think we might agree on, which is this whole thing about how do you, you know, consulting skills and diagnosis is really important part of HR and perhaps one of the missing links, really. Um, So we talked about a bit about the BBC, a bit about BT. Was it then a leap to the odium or was there something in between? No, I did two jobs in between. Um, I worked in advertising and media for several years for two different organisations, one um, relatively small kind of owner-led business um, and a PLC. Okay. And... Was Odeon the first HR job? Were those both OD jobs? They were smaller no, HR jobs? No, they were HR jobs. So, you know, the, the responsibility for making sure all of the business as usual and partnering happened, as well as bringing those kind of specialisms to bear. And so why the shift from OD? You didn't want to stay in OD? You wanted the HR director's job? Was that just about the ability to work on a bigger stage um, or...? I think it was a number of different things, really. I mean, someone approached me and asked me to apply for a job, which is always, you know, an opportunity to kind of reassess, isn't it? So um, that was a big part of it. And then I I think um, I wanted to get closer to the business and to the commercials. I'm really, really passionate about the people agenda, as you know. Um, But I'm really passionate about how that brings commercial success to businesses. So the opportunity to get closer and closer to the numbers and how the kind of commercial results are really delivered was really appealing. And, you know, so why not? Yeah, and I think obviously, you know, both cinemas and advertising are people businesses, aren't they, really? I always think of them as very much sort of customer service and, you know, people's high in the strategic mix, isn't it? So tell us about um, the thing you're proud of stuff in your career. What's the thing when you look back on, it might be at the Odeon or it might have been one of your previous roles, things that you look at and go, we really made a difference, we fundamentally changed something, you know, I'll look back at the end of my career and go, that was a a highlight, that was a golden moment. I think it's really hard to pick out one thing, actually. I'm always proud of the teams that I work with, Um, so I'm always inspired by the people I work with and what they're able to do to make work more pleasurable, more fun and more productive um, for the people in the organisations. And that's been a real constant source of pleasure, actually, and pride. When you're talking about teams, talking about the people that work for you, your teams, the people teams? Yeah, the HR teams and the teams that, you know, you create as you're going about doing your job, really. Um, I'm really proud of what we did at Odeon, you know, in the turnaround phase to prepare it. Tell us a bit about that. Tell us a bit about the turnaround phase. Tell us about what the challenge was and what you and the HR team did. 
So the first phase of Odin in the first two years I was there, the business was um, private equity owned and preparing for sale. Um, the chief exec at the time was Paul Donovan and he had brought in a new team to kind of accelerate the turnaround um, and the business um, metrics really so that we could sell the business. And it wasn't a capital rich kind of phase you know there wasn't loads of money to spend Mm -hmm. on refurbing cinemas and all of those kind of things so we really dialed up the culture and the customer service elements of our strategic program so we spent a lot of time um, thinking about how to motivate and engage the colleagues right across the business so that every time they turned up um, in a cinema and served a guest it would be a good experience we had a really basic kind of belief that great customer service would mean happy guests and that happy guests would spend a bit more and return to our cinemas and um, in order to give them that experience our people needed to be happy themselves Um, so we just uh, created a number of different initiatives to kind of re-motivate and re-engage our people. So the premise was very much like customer service profit time, treat the people well, get them engaged give them the skills, yeah. they treat the customer yeah. well, customer spends a bit more money, returns more often, Yeah, we get a bit more, make more money, commercial yeah. success. Yeah. yeah, yeah, win-win. Great. So, uh, uh, but you were quite new to that then. So was you brought in to specifically to do that? Mm, yes. So um, absolutely. So Paul had a really strong belief that, you know, customer satisfaction, commercial success yeah. and people engagement all went together and, um, and so he and I kind of crafted that part of the strategy um, and created an employee value proposition that had just really simple stuff in it, Kevin. I'm going to come back to the HR <laughs> bit, but tell me a bit about the business first. So tell me about where was the business at the beginning of that? So what were the metrics, the commercial metrics that you were using to judge success? Then let's talk a bit about what you did. And then let's talk about where we ended up, because I'm assuming it's a good news story and that you progressed and made more money and more (laughs) profitable. It was a very good news story. So we um, had and still have, you know, very kind of classic business metrics. So we have the EBITDA kind of metric, the same as most businesses. We have an NPS metric, you know, so that we are in touch with um, and listening to the customer feedback directly. We have an attendance metric. So, you know, how many people are watching the films? How many people actually come through yeah. um, as a total? Like an occupancy sort of figure. How many people in the cinema for each yeah. showing? Or what yeah, they? exactly. What are, what are they, how many people are watching what at yeah. any given time and what percentage of the market is that? Because that's obviously really important. And then we have some kind of retail metrics, food and beverage metrics so how much additional spend and do you do that sales per customer or per cinema i'll say you do we we do it per head um but um you know obviously that kind of gets accumulated um so we were tracking all of those um over the period of the initiatives and and they all went up um, and they all went up considerably so we could see our employee um engagement and our EBITDA going up together yeah so did they go up in a smooth line so did you go we here's the people engagement school we've invested we're training them we're making sure the managers talk nicely to them all of that sort of stuff did that go up and then you get a nice causal relationship the mps of customers go up and then the mps of customers starts to give you more profitability or more popcorn per person or whatever it may be i mean what happened for us was that they all jumped 
actually. Oh. So um, so it wasn't a kind of, you know, there, obviously there was a kind of, you know, um, gradual improvement, but you could see these kind of big jumps actually where, you know, big step changes were happening. And um, I know you're coming back to the HR piece and the EVP piece, but actually what we did was craft uh, an employee value proposition that had I think we launched about 70 80 new products in the first year um what do you mean by products you mean HR yeah intervention yeah 80 yeah yeah so we were busy but because we put so much new stuff in and it was all focused on giving not receiving so from the colleague me, tell me so we gave that. them new L&D opportunities we gave so new talent yeah. programs we gave additional reward and incentives and recognition programs so we were kind of putting a lot back in to the system so rather I, than I trying to I was an employee out. there I could earn more money there were new incentive programs you, I could yeah. go on a bit of training yeah what about the managers? How did you get to that? Well, we did some, um, we launched some new behaviours. So we've got an our behaviours um, kind of guide, which we launched really early. I think that was one of the first, yeah. in the first batch, actually, which is really simple. Um, it kind of just goes through kind of expectations with our values, in line with our values. Um, and then we started to build out management and leadership development programmes that were based on those behaviours, our values and our vision and just built up some really you know fairly standard um skills um and management tools for people and and in terms of could you and this is a bit unfair but i mean i'm really interested in this stuff as you know so could you disaggregate some of the stuff you did and the impact you got so was it the people management stuff or was it giving them learning and training could you could you tie it together so was you did you have enough cause and effect within the measurement to say this is really driving it you know because we're getting the managers to behave the right way they're giving feedback they're they're creating a good atmosphere they're talking to people all the time so i i have got a real firm belief that it's not a single intervention that leads to a single causal increase in a, a metric you know we're not machines businesses and organizations aren't engines right they are social kind of systems and they're more much more complicated and much more nuanced than that so I kind of think of the EVP as the kind of push-up of the HR intervention world it works all the muscles you know it's a composite intervention and it's by doing those things in combination that you get the uplift so that's my broad and I, okay. philosophy however <laughs> <laughs> however we did do quite a lot of work we used the McKinsey organizational health index to measure the engagement and organizational health and we did do a lot of work looking at um, the performance of our general managers and the OHI NPS and EBITDA results and there was a link um, you know a causal link between the performance of the general manager and the stability of the general manager how long they're in tenure how many changes happen in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in a cinema um, with stability being good by the way yeah, yeah. Um, and longer tenure being more generally more positive um, and the results that the cinema get across those metrics so we were able to see that really clearly which leads you to a hypothesis that actually getting really good hiring really brilliant managers developing really brilliant managers and keeping those managers engaged energized and enthusiastic is 
really, really important for commercial I've got success. Two questions for you because I'm fascinated by this stuff. One is, um, how did you get the investment at the beginning? You said you had the chief exec, Paul, sort of got it, got the belief. But then when you said, look, we've got to spend quite a lot of money on this, we've got the development program, we're going to measure if we're going to, you know, there's quite a lot of new things that you were doing, all of with cost attached to it. And of course, you have to put that in before you get the return, don't you? So, you know, because in lots of businesses, they don't buy in, you know, to getting the premise that if we do this, we're going to get this type of result is sort of the starting point. So I suppose the question is, he already got that belief and the leadership team already believed that if we do this stuff, we're going to get the results. Yes. Um, contrary to kind of popular belief, we didn't spend loads and loads of money on it. So um, actually, all of the work that we did was done really carefully on fairly minimal minimal budgets, actually, because PE-based backed business didn't have loads and loads of no, they don't like spending money, but they like the results. So once they find something gives them the results, they normally go, can we do some more of that? Yes, and we did do more, but we didn't do, we also became much more efficient. So actually, you know, you're, we were able to um, refine all of the programmes yeah. um, and the interventions that we'd done. And of course, the longer you run them for, there's more that you can reuse from previous times. Sure. And actually, you driving, you know, act- the actual cost down, but yeah. getting a lot more result from your money. So one of my other questions is, so you sort of knew what you are going to do, you designed this stuff. I mean, how did you get the capability? Did you just have some good people there when you arrived or did you have to bring some people across to help you do this? I've got a really brilliant team um, who have got kind of bags of energy, bags of creativity and who had um, lots of tenure in the business, actually. So I hired, I think, one external individual into the HR team to help me. um, And she's still there, actually, and has worked alongside me um, for the last four years and is totally brilliant. And then we kind of built up the capability and found the capability in the existing business um, and brought people into the HR team. So So you brought commercial people into the HR team? Yeah, we managed to persuade some of the operational folk um, who'd been in the cinema business a long time to come and join us. Um, We managed to persuade them that HR was cool and fun and funky. Um, And that was brilliant because, um, you know, at the centre we had a couple of people who had deep, deeper HR experience. I had the OD experience and and quite a lot of knowledge. Um, and they knew the business really well and understood how it operated. Oh. And, and what the drivers were and, and how I people think, are going to react to stuff and yeah, how it will land and all of that stuff. All of that. And I think probably more or most important of all, they really wanted to see it improve. They were highly invested in seeing the business become more people-oriented and more successful. They really cared about the business. And so actually, when they started to see that we were onto something, you know, it was quite tempting to come in and join in. And, and the team, you know, it now has this kind of blend of commercial, operational kind of experience and yeah. deeper HR. And the other question I had uh, that I'm interested in is, can this work in all organisations? So what I mean by that is like custom service, profit channel, balance scorecard, causal relationship. You can see it because you can measure it quite easily. You know, MPS, 
customer feedback. Say you're in, I don't know, a business-to-business business or a technology business or a product business. You know, in terms of, I mean, you've worked in different organisations, but do you think it, it applies across? You can use the same methodology? I think you can use the same methodology. I mean, I've definitely worked in B2B businesses, for example, and I've worked in profit, non-profit, different markets. Um, And I think the principles hold. I think what you need to do, though, is really, really listen to the nuance of what it is that people want. Because, you know, anybody can design an EVP, anyone can design the different products and approaches that sit within it. But if those don't resonate and they don't tap into what people really want in that business, then they're not really going to be effective. So Mm. you're back to the consulting skills, really. The methodology, I think, holds, but you need the consulting skills to go in and listen and do the diagnostics and understand the nuance of the business so that what you design is relevant to the context you're designing for. Mm. So I don't think you can... Lift and shift. I don't think that another company could lift and shift what we've done at Odeon. They could replicate the principles and the way we've done it, but they would. It it would be different. They'd have to work out the drivers and the relationships, don't they? So it's the old strategy mapping stuff. Yeah. If we do this, what will it have an impact on? How do we measure that? And again, one of the things I think is quite important from the work that you've done is it's very output focused, isn't it? So we know what the inputs are. I mean, HR is an input-driven thing, isn't it? Let's put a new EVP in. Let's do some training. Yeah. Let's pay them differently. Let's yeah. ask them for feedback. All of that. They're all inputs. But in reality, what you're then measuring is, do we get more customers? Do they spend yeah. more money? Does that yeah. relate to, to finance? You know, yeah. it's a nice... Whereas I think in other businesses, I think they struggle to, to, to get the relationships. But I think it does hold. I think it is... Yeah. And we had some very kind of clear output when we did you know we did start with the end in mind we knew that we needed to kind of sell the business and that would need it to be marketed we knew that we needed the commercial results in order to do that and we knew that our people were the only people who could do it and we were also having some really tactical problems so you know when I arrived um it was almost impossible to attract talent into key roles so you know I remember arriving and the regional managers in our business are incredibly important. They run, you know, the the um, hubs of cinemas um, across the countries. And we couldn't attract regional managers into the roles that we had available. We would get one or two applications that might or might not be suitable. And by the time we'd finished the first year of kind of rebranding, if you, if you like, from mm-hmm. an employee perspective, we were getting 50, 60 applicants. Okay. We were having you know, several to choose from. Why is that role? Why is that role more important than the cinema manager, the person on the ground running the business? It's not more important. Um, okay. It's, but it is very important. So because they are coaching and developing the general and managers, managers and the general okay. managers are coaching and developing the teams and the teams are the ones who are, you know, delivering the service and the commercial proposition to the guest. Yeah. So it's all important, you know, again, you can't pick one role over another, but but that just happened to be one that was very difficult to recruit for. Um, yeah, it, you know, it was virtually impossible. Um, and then, you know, a year later, we were, you know, really in a good place with lots of applicants and good quality applicants. Okay. So, you know, those tactical things 
I think were really helpful in kind of because they just go away. You just all of a sudden start to get better people applying. Yeah, you, you bring better managers in. They don't yeah. need quite as much. Yeah, and some of the stress in. comes out of the business then because you know it's very stressful it is when things are going wrong and when actually you can't hire people because people just blame you don't they yeah and managing you HR get it sorted <laughs> you just need some good people for these jobs and then you know well exactly and you know a man- managing director is going to worry if he's got or she's got several holes yeah you know gaps in the team so I think once you start to see those results coming through um you've got the business results and then you've got those kind of you know um indicators as well I think the business starts to pick up and people start to feel start to believe better. Don't yeah they, they, they start do. to believe and you get momentum so one of the things I want to change track slightly I want to ask you a question about things that have gone wrong in your career <laughs> mistakes you've made things that didn't quite work out because not from but I think we learn as much from, you know, from failure as we do from success. And I don't think HR is very good at talking about stuff. And I think one of the great problems we have in HR is we need to fail more often and we need to know faster and learn from it and go again. So I'm always keen to ask people, you know, when you look back in hindsight, you know, tell us about, you know, tell us just about a couple of things that you didn't do very well, what you learned from it. Wow. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think we... I mean, we've done a lot at Odeon. Um, I would say probably about 20% of what we've launched in the time that I've been there, maybe a bit more, just hasn't bitten or taken. So most of it has, but every now and then, um, you know, so, uh, you know, some of the talent work, for example, that we do every year hasn't always taken the way that I hoped it would. So I want, to, I want to change track now. So one of the things I'm really interested in is um, how people have learned, you know, mistakes we've made along the way, opportunities to be better. So when you think back over your career, is there things that you perhaps particularly struggled with at the beginning um, or you've got real insight from about yourself and how to handle situations? So what has, you know, where have you taken some of your learning from with areas that perhaps you're, um, you know, found it more difficult to start with? I think that's a really tough question, Kevin. Um, So I think that all the difficulties or the things that are most difficult in delivering the kind of work that we do are around people. So people are the best bit of it and they're the worst bit of it as well. So, um, you know, they're not machines. They're not necessarily predictable. You don't always know how people um, will respond and I think it's taken me a really long time to understand all of that and or understand some of it I'm sure I don't understand it all yet um and be a bit more patient sometimes um with getting the stakeholder environment you just used to get frustrated well I still get frustrated um fairly often I'm fairly impatient and Uh, If I think that there's something that can be better, I can often be in a rush uh, to to make it better really quickly. People don't always move at the same speed as you. So sometimes people are just more reticent or sometimes people are blocking stuff. Yeah, all of that. Um, Or they've got different agendas and they're busy doing different things. And um, it takes time for people to understand what you're trying to achieve and why you're trying to do it. And I think... um, the more experience I've got, the longer and more focus I've put on getting that right before I start things. And that has okay. definitely, definitely helped. Um, and then there are just all the usual HR 
challenges, trials and tribulations around getting people in the right place to do the right job, um, sometimes getting people in the wrong place. Yeah, I mean, that does interest me. I mean, I think the relationship one, and I think it's about, I think to be great at HR, you've got to understand, I think that we're going to come back to the consulting and measurement and all of that. But I think you've got to be able to understand people and build relationships and, and put yourself in their shoes so you know where they're coming from. And, and I think it takes a while to get there, really. I think that's quite a difficult skill. And you can't teach people it. It has to be... And I'm not learned. sure... Yeah, I agree. And I'm not sure you ever really arrive either. So, I mean, I'm as um, surprised these days as I ever ever was. You know, from time to time, someone's response will genuinely really surprise me and I don't see it coming. And... Um, I sort of hope that never stops, really, because that's part of the joy of it. You can never predict it all. But you do have... I think I think I have got better at expecting the unexpected, I suppose. Um, and I think that's kind of, kind of helpful. Yeah. Okay. And that bit about, you know, the, the normal trials and tribulations of putting people in roles. I mean, I think, you know, I look at my career, certainly in HR... That was a bit of frustrating me the most, where people want to appoint people and you just know they're not going to be great in the role. <laughs> and you argue your point, but it's not your call. You influence, you try, and then they do it. And then you you sort of really want to go back and go, I told you this would never work. But you can't do that, can you? You just have to try and pick it up and make it work. So have you got any hints and tips for people that might be listening about how to influence those decisions? Because I think that, you know, all HR people early in their careers, you know, managers just just want to put someone in hold sometimes. I need someone to do this job and they're all right. They've sort of done half of it or they've been here a while and let's give them a go and all that madness that we have to deal with. Mm. I'd love to say I don't know what you're talking about, but I, but sadly I know exactly what you're talking about. I, um, I feel really strongly actually that HR professionals um, should have a set of capabilities and skills that allow them to have a view on those critical appointments um, that is well-founded, well-evidenced. Um, I think it's really, really important that uh, really good leaders get put into the right jobs. It can have a massive impact on the results of the business and the lives of the teams they're leading. So I feel passionate that HR people should develop the skills um, both to recognise what great leadership and um, capability looks like and to influence others to see it I think it's critical do I have any advice I mean I think I think there's something about um and <laughs> a phrase I never thought I'd say but picking your battles you can't um influence everywhere all the time so you need to know where to influence for the for the biggest impact um and and you need to know who to influence as well. Um, and that's not always the most obvious person. So it isn't necessarily the most direct approach um, that works. Um, the, you know, the, the, I know exactly what you the mean. The appointing manager isn't necessarily yeah. making that decision on their own. And so there are various different conversations that can be had around the sides. I also think... You know, taking some of that emotion out of those conversations is useful. So, you know, it's 
pretty standard in in most organizations to do a bit of profiling um to do good quality referencing um and to use those inputs actually uh, and not just your own opinion or professional yeah. judgment um but i i feel really strongly um that it's something that hr needs to be really good at and you know, it's important for the diversity and inclusion agenda. It's important so that, you know, organisations don't just become networks that are kind of verging on nepotism. Um, actually, a meritocracy is the absolute best thing for most businesses most of the time. Um, and HR is there to make sure that that, you know, gets delivered. And um, if there's one thing I'm really passionate about, you know, for our team, my team, the HR team I work with and our business is that um, we take those decisions really seriously, actually. Okay, we're going to take a short break there. We'll be back in the second half of the HR Futures podcast to talk to Catherine Pritchard from The Odeon a bit about the future of HR, what we think is going to happen. And I'm going to go back to that thing about consulting skills as well. And then a little bit about what Catherine does outside of work. So Catherine, the woman, we'll be back in a moment. Are you looking to reduce risks and operating costs or increase your agility and capacity? There's more pressure than ever for HR and finance to provide strategic value for the business and for CEOs. At Zealous, our expert team creates software and managed services that handle your entire payroll and HR admin processes. We believe there are two sides to the employee experience. The fundamentals that need to go unnoticed and experiences that employees really care about. And we can help you master both. We're here to make the complex simple, freeing you up to focus on your people and achieve your goals. Find out more at zealous.com. Welcome back to the second part of the HR Futures podcast. With me today is Catherine Pritchard, who's the Group HR Director or Chief People Officer at the Odeon. And we will talk a little bit about um, your additional responsibility for strategy as we sort of move through the second half of this podcast. But I really wanted to start off by asking you, you know, what's HR's biggest failing? Because I, I know you're passionate about what we do as a profession, um, but I'm really keen to get your take on what we don't do very well and what we need to do more of that perhaps, you know, we're not doing enough of. Mm, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, and it's hard not to answer that question by saying, you know, how brilliant I think HR professionals are. And they, you know, often doing really difficult jobs, actually. So I, th I think whenever we're talking about what they what the profession needs to do better, we need to do it with reference to what they do really well, actually. Because um, quite often, I think the jobs are tough and people, you know, take a lot of kind of body blows doing them. Yeah. Um, however, I think there are some things that we could get better at as a profession. Um, I think that the way generally people grow up and get developed through the HR profession isn't always very helpful. Um, so it can be quite a long time before an HR practitioner manages a team, for example. Um, and I think... Um, they can they can often be advising yeah, managers so so um, on how to manage their team and how to deal with difficult circumstances with their people without actually having any particular experience of it themselves. And whilst 
you know, we can all advise on things we don't know very much about. Um, often your own experience tempers that advice or modifies or refines it. And so I do think it's important that HR people um, get some line management experience early yeah. in their career um, and use that to really think about um, the real the real challenges of managing teams and getting things done. Um, I'd like to see a lot more of that happening. I'd like to see HR people getting much closer to the commercials of the business and the drivers, the numbers. Why, why, why don't they? I think, um, you know, they're very, very busy sorting out the other things in the business. And there are lots of people, you know, you've got commercial people in businesses, you've got finance people, you've got operational people who are more comfortable in that space. I suppose I, I, yeah, I agree with you. There's absolutely nothing you said. But I think there's one of the things that most frustrates me is, is that if we keep just doing process and policy and procedure, you don't make a difference with those. That's not what, you know, you might need to do things differently, but you always start with what am I trying to impact? You know, and you always are trying to make the business more successful. I mean, that's my take on it. And then you work back from that. Whereas I think HR go, well, I won't worry about commercials. I'll just do good HR things. You know, I'll do good performance management and we'll put in some training and it'll have a positive impact. Well, I don't think it does. Well, I don't think it will be nuanced enough if you don't understand the commercials um, of the business that you're in, actually. So I think, you know, anybody can do, inverted commas, good performance management. We can all, you know, write that on the back of an envelope in about three minutes flat, can't we? But to get that to resonate with the business, it needs to be more subtle than the kind of cookie cutter performance management. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think a bit of experience is is really important. And understanding what is it the business is trying to achieve, what results commercially or for society or for the customer um the business is really driving for and then you can then you can really think um intelligently i suppose about what kind of hr you want to deliver so i think hr needs to be better at that kind of stuff hr professionals broadly need to you know you could never be too good at that really in my view um i do think um you know, a little bit of uh, consulting expertise. You've alluded to it a few times, Kevin, but, you know, it's the same point, I suppose, wrapped in a in a different guise. But, you know, those diagnostic skills that you, you, you know, that are the, the core of consulting, um, although the butt of many jokes, you know, about consultants, you know, ask, you ask mm. a consultant what the time is and all of that stuff, actually... Without asking those questions, again, how do you know what you're doing is going to be fit for purpose? You you don't. Um, so I think that's an important skill set for HR professionals. Um, we've talked about metrics um, and measurement. I know you're really passionate about it. Um, I think that's something, again, that actually I, I think the profession is getting better at. Um, but, you know, it's not just about turnover, time to hire, cost to hire. Do you, do you think we're getting better? I mean, I, I struggle sometimes. I mean, I told you when I saw you last that, you know, I'd done some reading around, you know, thinking about HR. And it seems to be the same stuff that we had 25 years ago. It doesn't seem to have moved on. You've got, you know, and I, you've got more, we're trying to be clever with data and technology and we're, you know, I don't know, there are glimmers of, 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 of hope it doesn't seem to have moved on very far. That, that, that worries me hugely. 
well, I haven't been at it for 25 years, so you've got a few years <laughs> on me. Um, so I can't talk about what it was like 25 years ago. Back in the day. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I do think it's getting better. And when I'm thinking about data I or metrics and measurement, I'm thinking about the qualitative hard measures, but I'm also thinking about you know, the softer, more anecdotal data that you get out of the business and how you how you use that insight as yeah. well. And I I do think it's it's getting better. I do think those kind of core metrics okay. are a little, a little bit more established and there and people are thinking um about how to put those together with with kind of softer data to get better insight. Yeah, I do. I do. Do is it getting better quickly enough i don't know um probably not but yeah i'm an optimist okay all right so the other question i was really keen to ask you was i suppose a bit more about planning or strategy you know we've got a lot of tools in our armory in hr function and one of the things i'm really interested in it may be it may be linked to the measurement question but is what do we choose to do and not do because one of the things that i know for whenever I go and talk to an HR director or look at an HR function, they'd have made trade-offs. They'd have gone, we, don't, we aren't going to do some of that stuff. We'll get there when we need to get there. But these are the things that are going to... So a bit, it's a bit linked to the business and the commercials. But you know, how do you go about making those trade-offs about what you do and what you don't do as an HR function? Oh, that's really difficult. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, the to-do list is longer than the have-done list. So there is constantly much, much more that you could be doing, or I could be doing in my role than I have time to do or I've done already or the business has capacity to receive, actually, because the business can only accept so much change or kind of new initiatives, however good they are. Um, and it is, I mean, it's just a constant dance The way we do it at Odeon and the way my team go about it is by, you know, having this very clear um, employee value proposition, which is essentially the HR strategy. It's been there about three and a half years now um, and it hasn't changed. And every year, I mean, it's a bit of a standing joke, really, with some of my executive colleagues who are like, you you know, how much value have you got out of that slide, Catherine? Because there's, you know, one visual representation. But actually, it's right that it's endured because it's given a sense of consistency and constancy to our colleagues. Um, And then we have, you know, the initiatives that sit underneath it that are are really quite well organised. So I think that's helpful because that's a big kind of strategic end goal. And then, you know, you have a set of things. We have an annual plan and a set of things that we know we'll do every year. So we always launch a new management development uh, programme, for example, so that we're constantly refreshing those Mm. skills because we know that that is so critical um, to the success of our business. And But then other things come and go. So depending, you know, the last couple of years, we've been managing integration. We sold, we had a new owner, we bought a new business and we were doing a lot of integration, which means, you know, some the strategy stayed the same and we were doing the same big pieces, but actually the timing of those yeah. changed a lot or, you know, you dial up some pieces in some territories or countries that are starting from a different place 
So I get it, and I think I think you do it very well uh, in terms of what you just said. But one of the things I suppose is how do you? Because I just think HR can get busier and busier and busier because you can just keep doing what you've always done and then overlay other things. Well, let's do a, this type of program or let's do that or let's change the incentive program. And, and what you then get is you have the law of diminishing returns. You don't get as much impact yeah. or you try you spread too thin. So I think it's about how do you say no to the business, isn't it? Yes, and we definitely do say no. I mean, you and I have talked about this many times. Um you know, the partnering relationship is is so critical. Um, but I'm a big believer that really great partnering is about is about giving the business and the business leaders some of what they want. And it's about knowing some something that they don't know and offering them something more and different um, than what they've already got on their on their mind. So and in order to do that, um, you have to say no to some things that people want and and that's I mean it's judgment isn't it so I'm trying to think of a really good example but you know we might say no to changing some of our recruitment process whilst we um, say yes to recruiting more for a particular strategic initiative for example so you know we've opened a number of um, refurbed sites in the UK and and changed some of the training that we give colleagues um, in our Lux cinemas. But while we're doing that, we can't also be, you know, building new customer service training, for example. So you change and adapt some pieces for a new business context, but you have to hold other pieces until that's delivered. And and again, that's why understanding the commercials and the business strategy and the business rhythms is really important because otherwise what looks great with a pure HR lens and looks important actually might not be the right thing for the business at all. So I don't, I don't have a very neat recipe, <laughs> but I think it's just, it's just that constant. Yeah iteration really what would you say to an hr person just starting i'll say to an hr a young person thinking about starting off on a career in hr so i've been at university what would you say to them do you say to them this is the best opportunity you'll have this will be tough go off and do marketing or i don't know i'm being a bit provocative but i think the point is i think we need to hire more capable people than other functions i think what we do is more difficult um, and I'm not sure we always get the horsepower. I think this is because we're not making it an attractive proposition, and we're not. So I'm interested in your take on that. So, say a young person came to you, so got lots of options. I've done a degree. I'm thinking about professional development. What about HR? I, I mean, of all the jobs I've done, my HR jobs have been by far the most interesting and most rewarding. Would I encourage other people to get into HR? I definitely would. I think it is an absolutely fantastic way to spend your working life. It's, you know, challenging, stimulating, creative, rewarding. You know, it's brilliant. Um, And I don't think it's enough just to be an HR practitioner. I think... You know, HR is about making businesses and organisations better. And so actually, you need to be a business or organisational person first and foremost. So if you want to be, and I suppose that's true of other functions as well, but I, but I think it's on steroids in HR. And I, th- I think it's perhaps the, our biggest gap, isn't it? Whereas, I mean, you, you know, 
sort of a finance person, you wouldn't go, do you understand the business and what's driving it? And you well, I might, actually. Yeah, no, but you, there's an <laughs> assumption, I'm accepting that. And, you know, marketers, you'd expect them to understand consumers and customers. And I think I think the difference for HR in particular is that you are shaping and influencing all the different facets and all the different functions at a fairly deep and significant and lasting level, or you can be if you're good at it. Explain that, because I don't think people quite often, when they, even in HR early in their career, or when they're thinking about it, would understand what you've just said. I think they think it's about doing things and people well, rather I, than what you just said, which is actually you have the ability to influence the strategy, every other function. Yeah. So, I mean, at the beginning of careers, HR careers, it is about getting things done, isn't it, often? And it's about making sure that core processes are followed well and um, the right kind of conversations happen and, you know, all of that kind of thing. And that stuff is really important because... You know, without it, businesses, you know, um, can run into really significant problems. And governance, I I think, is actually really, really important and actually really fascinating. But we'll leave that for a minute. Um, As your career progresses through HR, my experience, at least, is that um, you get more and more involved in how the business is shaping itself and what it's becoming over time. So you're more involved in long-term capability planning. You're more involved in strategic decisions and evaluating how those strategic decisions um, may or may not be executed at all or well or not well. No, um, you are making very important decisions about leadership. Absolutely. We've already talked about that, but you are making recommendations about um optimal team configuration, team development, um, you know, critical roles um, and all of those kinds of things. And and that's a lot of responsibility, actually. And, it, you know, when it's done well, require, requires yeah. a lot of skill, experience and so on. So, and I think, you know, how do you build those skills and experience? You, you know, it, it's time, isn't it? And it's breadth. Of did you have any opportunity? Mentors? How did you, you know, have you had mentors or coaches in your life that you've worked with people where you've learned a lot and they've opened your eyes to this stuff? I've worked with some fantastic people. I mean, I, I think I've had well, I've really enjoyed my career um, and done some really, really interesting things and worked with a lot of very good people, both you know, people, individuals who've managed me and develop me but also external organizations Mm. and you know I'm a trained coach um, and have a master's in coaching and to do that you have to go through your own coaching kind of process as well um, which was fascinating. Um, When did you do that in your career? A while ago I think I finished about 10 years ago Um, and that was a brilliant thing to do Actually, um, I already had an, an MBA, yeah. um, which gives you the kind of insight into the mechanics of the business, if you like. And I wanted the coaching masters so that I understood leadership psychology and team psychology and the softer dynamics of the business. And I find that using the two together actually is really, really helpful. Um, so sometimes I'll be looking at, you know, an issue or a challenge from a kind of more traditional theoretical perspective other times from a more kind of group psychology perspective um 
neither ever gives the perfect answer, um, but both both are usually fairly interesting, uh, at least to me. So, I think HR is a great is a great profession, but I but I think um, you know the breadth of experience is important. What about the bit you said earlier on? You know, the, I think it's in blood and bullets or whatever. I mean, I think one of the things people don't recognise is if you're going to progress in HR resilience and tenacity and dedication and you know finding ways of doing stuff you know people don't teach you that bit do they really you just sort of find yourself there and 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 I agree I think it's a I think it's a really rewarding job but I think it's a really tough job and I think that um so much of what we do is never seen um so you know that is that is difficult yes. as well, you know. Um, so you have to be somebody who's content knowing that you've done a, a good job or as good a job as you possibly can, but isn't necessarily looking for loads of external recognition and validation. I think that's important. I think you do have to be resilient. Um, and I think paradoxically, you have to be really kind because actually a lot of HR is about what's good for everybody else and what's good for the business. And so you have to nice. you do actually have to believe that 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 is an attribute worth maintaining um so i d- i think it's t- i think it's a tough job really tough job um and i think all leadership jobs are tough actually yeah, um so yeah working out how you're going to sustain your career is quite important okay as we're talking about careers, I, 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 I gather that you're going to be leaving the Odeon group um, and going off to do something else. Is that just time to do something else? Is it just a moment in your career? I mean, you, you sound passionate about the business and what you've done there. Just time for a new challenge? Yeah, it's definitely time for a new challenge. So I've um, done almost exactly four years at Odeon, but as I keep saying to people, they're more like dog years. So <laughs> they have been unbelievably intense um, very, very rewarding, very happy. Um, but it's time for me to go and get my teeth stuck into something new. I feel confident, actually, that the legacy of what we've done in the last four years will last. Because you've won lots of awards and stuff, haven't you? Yeah. For HR and the things that you've done at Odeon, which I think you must be hugely proud of. I, I'm really proud of them. I'm really proud of the team um, that have delivered all of that. But I'm more proud of the actual change in the business, Kevin. So, um, you know, people will openly say that the business feels different to work in um, than it did before we started the journey. And that's what I'm most proud of, really. Okay. Do you want to tell us where you're going? Um, I'm going to a business called Nord Anglia, who um, provide international education um, for children, pupils all over the world. So they run 56 schools in, I think, 28 countries. So it's very, very global. Um, And you may or may not know that I was a teacher. My very first career um, was, um, and profession was as a teacher. And I'm the daughter of two teachers as well. So it's in my DNA um, to be in and around education. I'm passionate about learning. Um, So I'm really, really excited about joining uh, Nord Anglia and the team there. And they've got a lot of 
similar challenges to the ones that we've been going through at Odin. They're, you know, multi-site operations um, and growing very fast. Um, so some things that are really similar, some things that are very different. Obviously, the proposition um, yeah. is very different um, and quite complicated. I mean, providing education is is yeah, a complicated yeah. thing, right? Beings, yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm really, really excited about getting back. Um, I'm very excited about being close to schools, actually. I'm a school oh, governor oh, as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Schools. yeah. I mean, I think you know, that's another subject. If we start to talk about education, I think we'll be here for another couple of hours. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about um, you as a person, Catherine. So we took, heard a lot about your career and what you do in work. Tell us about your passions outside of work. Is it theatre or literature, uh, you know, books, is it music, is it sport, I don't know, I mean, you know, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, you so when, whenever there's time for outside work, so work takes up probably a little bit too much time, if I'm perfectly honest, Kevin, I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that. Um, once I get stuck into a project, I get quite engrossed. Um, but um, I do enjoy loads of other things as well. I don't read as much as I used to. So I read on holiday uh, these days rather than anything else. I'm pretty active. Um, I find running and sport is the perfect um, antidote to working life. So if I've had a particularly sort of sit downy sort of a day, mm. a good run, um, is good, and I ran my first half marathon a couple of years ago, well actually, uh, which uh, I won't be doing another one anytime soon. <laughs> let's put it that way. Um, I love spending time with my family and friends. Who doesn't? We just don't see enough of them, do, do right. we? Really? And I absolutely love throwing a party. So oh, um, I party can I consider it a life skill uh, to be able to throw a good party and I am quite famous so uh, tell me what's the, the the key the raison d'etre of a great pie what's the thing that you would start with what's the well, thing you, that, I mean it's really really there are three ingredients to a great well on, probably then. four ingredients um a brilliant guest list. So you invite people right, who are just really, really good fun. You feed them, you provide them with great alcohol and non-alcoholic drinks. And then the fourth uh, ingredient to a great party is a chilled out, relaxed hostess. Oh, so okay. you just let it happen. I thought it was going to say music. Yeah, music? No, oh, yeah, music? no, we do, we do have yeah. music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Sounds um, good. So, yeah, one way and another, I'm, I'm pretty busy. There doesn't seem to be a lot of, a lot of downtime, that's for sure. Fantastic. Thank you for spending the time with us. I think there was lots of insight, lots of value from the podcast. So we really appreciate you spending the time. Um, and all the best with what comes next. I'm sure it'll be a great success. Um, you certainly got the skills and capabilities to make a big difference to your new business, uh, as you have done to the Odeon. So thank you very much. Thank you, Kevin.